Hello, I'm Lee Jackson, Director of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility Programming at People's Light. I recently had the opportunity to talk to members of the creative team and the community around People's Light's audio drama presentation of Crushed Earth. If you enjoyed the production, I think this conversation will illuminate elements of it. And if you haven't listened yet, hopefully this will encourage you to. Enjoy. Hi, welcome everyone. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'd like to start first with a land acknowledgement that actually was written by one of our guests. The land acknowledgement is as follows. Welcome. People's Light currently resides on Lenape Hoking, land of Lenape. The Lenape are among the indigenous nations of first contact with Europeans and one of the oldest continuous democracies on earth. According to Lenape, this land belongs to the creator, yet it was given to Lenape to possess and steward. It was and continues to be their homeland to look after, as many nations of Lenape Hoking are still here. And while Lenape have always welcomed people from all over the world to their shores, that invitation comes with responsibility to treat everyone and everything on this land with respect. Wanishi, thank you. I think that's a lovely land acknowledgement and a lovely way to introduce this conversation. I want to first introduce the participants and uh, or invite you guys to introduce yourselves. Um, so let's start with Sanjit. Uh, hi, my name is Sanjit De Silva. I'm one of the co-writers uh, and co-creators of the play Crushed Earth, along with uh, my writing partner and my wife, Deepa Purohit. Okay, Opalanyatet? Uh, yes, Kwam Gamel Muhammad. Greetings. Uh, I'm Obalanya Tet. Uh, I am a member of the Nanakoke uh, Lenny Lenape Tribal Nation, and I was also one of the actors and performers in Crushed Earth. Wonderful. And Nina. Hi, I'm Nina Guzman. I am the founder and executive director of Alianza's De Phoenix Co. Our focus is on folks experiencing forced migration. Thank you, all of you. And we may be joined later by another guest. Uh, but for now, let's jump in. This play, Crushed Earth, is so rich with so many different themes about immigration, about, uh, about the enduring presence of Indigenous people, about gentrification. It's a fabulous play. And um, I'm so eager to hear from Sanjit about how this came about. Yeah, um, well, this came about thankfully to People's Light Theater and the New Play Frontiers program, which brings playwrights down to eastern Pennsylvania and introduces us to different communities and uh, charges us with a mission to write a new play based on the interviews we did. And uh, Deep and I came down in 2017. Um, Marcy Bermucci at the time was our, the community coordinator. Uh, and Zach Berkman and, and I and Deep had known each other for a while and he invited us to come. And so we uh, conducted uh, uh, a bunch of interviews throughout um, the county. Uh, Nina Guzman from Alianza was one of the people we interviewed and a key uh, person uh, for an inspiration for one of the characters in the play, Luis and his story. And we interviewed a South Asian family that became the inspiration for the character of Gayatri. And then we did research at the Westchester Historical Archives and we came across uh, a history um, of this woman, Hannah Freeman, um, who was called the last of the Lenape in Pennsylvania, and which, of course, is false. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are Lenape still here, 
and it got us really interested in, in what happened to the Lenape of this area. And then we also, Marcy brought us to a meeting of, um, of Delaware tribe, Lenape tribe in Delaware, of, of a council meeting that they were having, and they gave us the privilege of allowing us to attend. And um, that's where the inspiration for the characters of the tribe came from, and the character of Chililis is inspired by uh, Hannah Freeman, uh, the uh, the historical archive research we did there. And then we also did interviews in Coatesville. We interviewed the county commissioner at the time. So those interviews led us to make a composite for the character of Sheriff Fred. And uh, the South Asian family, uh, their daughter, who was a painter and artist, uh, was the inspiration for the character of Guy Three. So all these people that we met and were surprised by and we grew to love, um, each could have had their own play, but we wanted to find a way to put them in the same world. And so Crushed Earth uh, arose out of those interviews and, um, and how much we fell in love with those characters um, in the area. Well, one of the things that's so fascinating about this play also is how you play with the colonial confusion of Indian and Indian. I'm really fascinated by that because it is not something that we really address. <laughs> but you do it very deftly in this play. You know, I'm as a South Asian myself and, and my, my wife, uh, we've had that actually similar interactions. Are you Indian? Yeah, no, from, from, from India. No, not from, you know. <laughs> and it was just fascinating to us that there's this rich history of Native American and Lenape specifically here. And there's this new immigration of uh, Indians from South India coming into the area. And we thought, wow, this is such an incredible, uh, you know, in, in history, we have the original Indians, Lenape, and then this new migrants, Indians coming in. And what would that be like if they, you know, talk to each other? And, and, and that's how that came about. You know, the story of America is a story of immigration, right? We are the country of immigrants, but then we always forget that we, you know, there was the original peoples and then we immigrated here, right? Everybody's like the settlers. No, they were immigrants, right? They were immigrants <laughs> to this country, you know? Um, and so, and, and Eastern Pennsylvania has such a unique history in terms of immigration, the original Lenape, and then the Swedish who came and the Finns, and they were free Black men at the time. I mean, the research we did, I mean, we could write a whole nother play. In the 1600s, there was this utopian community between the Swedish and and the Lenape and free Black men. And then, of course, the British came and it all kind of changed. And then the Quakers. And so it, it's just fascinating. And then, the, and then the new migrants here to the, this part of the country, which are from India, especially southern India, and then uh, from Latin America, you know, the Guatemalans uh, were coming here, Latin Americans were coming here. And, you know, it's becoming this place of new cultures and, and new stories and new families. And we, would, we just uh, wanted to honor that story in our play. And certainly your play is not about a utopia. <laughs> you know, it's, de <laughs> no. it's definitely about a place that is challenged by the way that immigration is treated and um, and the way that Lenape are treated and gentrification. And Nina, you inspired at least one character in this play. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about, about Luis and the Guatemalan community that's represented in Crushed Earth. Yeah, well, here in our area, it's predominantly Guatemala, which is unique to all of, I think, all of Pennsylvania. Usually we have a very high, right, Mexican community, and we do have among us, but they're very much by far uh, Guatemalan. And it was just really so wonderful for the first time in our years of doing this work that someone reached out and says, we want to get this right. 
So we really appreciate that. And the most important thing, when I'm sitting there, I could actually say, aha, uh-huh, this sounds like us, right? And I say us, the folks that we serve. It Can you is, talk a little bit about your work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, we say we serve folks experiencing forced migration, experiencing because you never stop experiencing having to leave your native country and have to go through a trek, um, a dangerous trek and have to start somewhere else and leave family behind and leave half of your family behind or everyone because of political unrest or extreme poverty or violence or gross, you know, civil rights, um, human rights violations, stuff like that, sex trafficking, the works. Our displaced folks, there is, I thought, dignity because the narratives that are put out there, right? And this is what our folks experience on a daily. We help and we try to aid in any way our folks, but we also want to change that narrative for the real true Luises, okay? Changing the narrative of what immigration means. You know, those sound bites that are so quick out there to label folks like Luis, right? And say, oh, they're just coming here to drain our economy or some other ridiculous thing. And to put dignity back into and understand exactly why people, right, have to leave. Nobody gets up one day and says, I'm going to leave my identity behind, my family and everything to go into another place where I'll be discriminated (laughs) and gentrified and what have you, right? And have to migrate again because after the forced migration, you're here and you have to constantly move because of gentrification and you're forced into, right? That's how ghettos deformed and have Mm. I was just going to add that one of the things that's really great about Crushed Earth, I think, is that you hear the danger that Luis is constantly faced with and his family. I mean, he's yes. he's worried about his mother and um, and his sister and exactly. the anxiety exactly. that he has to deal with. That a magic word, anxiety. We at Alianza, one of the things that we do is our mm-hmm. we have a trauma counseling program because having to leave is one, it's the four stages of having to leave your country, right? Why you have to leave the trek here, which is dangerous and deadly, once you get to the border and are processed or, right, put in a cage or what have you. And then here is another trauma. The trauma here, people think, well, once you're here, you're good, right? Because you reached America, the dream. But it is a constant toxic anxiety to know that you don't have citizenship, that you're not going to make anything above minimum wage, that you're going to be charged double in your rent. And the big one from, you know, everything that you've built and worked so hard at, at one time, it could just all disappear with uses coming after you or ice or what have you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is very toxic. To, and children live that every day as well. They mm-hmm. go to school and are expected, right, to just go ahead and get into it. And people, our folks, we just can, we just get up and we start to work. This is what we came here for. We don't have any handouts. We're not eligible for anything. So we know we got to work doubly hard, but that is always there. That anxiety, that danger, and even a love story, even something so sweet and pure and wonderful, it is a dangerous risk. It is a risk of I'm giving you everything and I have a girlfriend or I have a wife and and it could all disappear the next day. Can you imagine us living that way, building relationships and home and community on the fact that all of that in one sweep could all disappear. And that is always here and here. 
And I think also what's so interesting about that is Luis's girlfriend, Gaia, is willing to step into the fray. You know, she takes a lot of risks in order to make the world better. And I think those risks include Luis. I mean, there are risks for Luis as well. So Nina, tell us um, the name of your organization and how it is that you work with people who are primarily from Guatemala. So we're Alianzas de Phoenixville, which means in Spanish, alliances. We know it's going to take alliances to uplift an entire community. Guatemalans, because it's the dominant culture here the, uh, from that country, it, when we started, it was by far, um, and it still is, Guatemalan. But I must say that in the 14 years, almost 14 years we've been doing this, it's become so much more diverse. Mm. We have many, so far we're up to almost 40 countries that we've mm. served so far. And our Muslim community is growing and what have you. So, but they still continue to be the dominant, right? And that because literally is by word of mouth. We've mm. actually contacted on Facebook, on our Facebook page, from folks in El Porvenir, San Marcos, which is where everyone comes from, and say, hey, we heard about, you know, you're helping our friends. Thank you. And if they have to come around and, and leave home, they already know that there's a friend here. It That's means great. a lot to them. So if they know there's someone where it's where they could live and just have a little bit of dignity to life and work, they're going to go there. And so especially if they know there are resources and just welcoming somewhere where they could actually know they are welcomed. Mm -hmm. It means a lot. And so if they have to leave and they have to find a place, they're going to come here. All, almost everyone is connected. That's wonderful. And again, I have to point out that, you know, Crushed Earth is very much about the complicated welcome that new immigrants face. Um, yeah, Ali, can I, can I just... Yeah, uh, yeah, please. And the, thing, and then the, the thing that we played with, you know, in terms of Guy 3, Gaia, and Luis is that even Luis says that, you know, it's like you're the, a new immigrant. You're the immigrant that got to come over here mm -hmm. legally. You don't know what it's like to cross over waters and borders and see dead bodies, you know? And so it's also interesting to see these two immigrants who've sort of fallen in love with each other and but each of their immigrant stories is so different from each other the circumstances you know guys who had the privilege of coming on a work visa with her parents and uh, whereas then you know Luis was actually fleeing hardship and poverty and had to go uh, come a different way claim amnesty you know and I, th I think in America people try to separate those two say oh no the one is better than the other you know you know and that that seems to be the rhetoric out there and here you see two people who are you know, they both love America. They both love each other. They both are the same. It doesn't matter how they, they came because they were trying to get a better life. And that is, I mean, that is one of the lovely things about this play, that they do love each other and that they are connected, even though they do have these very, very different immigrant experiences. We um, actually see moving. that in our ESL classes. Oh, yeah all these different countries there. You have someone from Bangladesh, from the Czech Republic, from Vietnam, from Guatemala, from Mexico, from Brazil. And in th it's a microcosm. But yeah, so they're all, right, these that have this kind of bond because they were all forced to leave their home. So, but different countries and different ways of getting here. But when you look into the room and you feel this vibe, it's like everyone's connected, even though the different languages look differently, different religions, I mean, different countries, but there's something that so I assimilate so I can see how that relationship mm -hmm. um, with Louis, it was oh. just, it was like that. And we get to see that all the time. That's... Oh, man, that's giving me an idea for another play, Nina, ESL. <laughs> I might have to come do another. I'm not going to say it's a love story in there. ESL. 
I'm not gonna say it's a, it's a love story, but the connection. Yeah. You no, know, it's just really you wonder how can all these people from such different places and religion and all these backgrounds have this connection? And when you walk in, you're like, these folks look like they're family. Again, I think this is one of the wonderful things about this play. It is about connection. It is about connection over time. It is about connection over cultures and history. You know, as as the writer says, only connect. And that's what they do. Opalanyatet, you are part of this play. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about, about your role in the performance, but also in the creation of the play. Uh, sure. Um, my first introduction to Crushed Earth, if I remember correctly, was uh, was actually the that meeting in Delaware. Um, I remember taking the the train down with some other uh, natives here in the New York City area, and we and we attended that meeting in Delaware. And um, there were members of my tribal nation there, um, along with some of our tribal relations and relatives uh, in Delaware. Uh, so it was the reading, right? We did a reading for everybody in that, yeah, yeah, and in, in the church, right? It was at a yeah uh, in the church, yeah, yeah. That was my first time. I, I think we may have been in contact before then, but my first time kind of being in community with it, I, I remember, was at that church. Open um, Ted, you were the official advisor for us at that at that mm-hmm. time for the play, the development of the play. Yeah, yeah, and I and I have served as as kind of like a, an advisor, cultural advisor to the play in various capacities, um, both of my own knowledge and also I, I also. Um, have leaned on some of my uh, some of some of my tribal elders as well in terms of uh, for information about some of the characters in the play and 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 the issue some of the issues that are brought up and and this last this last iteration I, I was I was very honored to to be an actor in it as well uh, in the audio play so so that that was a new um, task uh, in it for me uh, just this past summer. What so, did that mean for you to be an actor in the play? How did that change your understanding of their play of the play your your appreciation of the play your experience of the play well I, I mean it's great to be on the inside i mean as as a performer myself and an actor i, I you know it, it's great to be on the inside as opposed to just being on the outside helping to shape it or, or with information or you know cultural information etc so so in this case in this case it was kind of great to to be on both sides i mean you helped provide some of the information and now you're embodying it in the role and certainly I think the tribal politics involved in the play, with its drama and comedy, and it's still most importantly love. I think that's always at the at the bottom of it, despite some of the rancor that that can seem to be there. I think at the end of the day, it is still love for family and community and and the history and legacy that we all share. And by and, tribal politics, do you mean literally the election that's at issue there? Is that what you yeah, mean by the tribal? Well, politics? well, yeah, yeah. I mean the election that that's an issue uh, in in the play. I mean, I, I I have not run myself, but I certainly have had you know family and relatives that do. And 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 while my tribal nation is in southern New Jersey, um, not too far from Philly and Delaware, I live in New York City, and I also am privy to some of the local elections of the intertribal community that exists here in New York City. So you know you you can see how um, emotionally tough it can be, but it's also because I think of of the legacy and you know th- that we all carry, and I think. Also, of course, in the play, I mean, also just happens to be, you know, like a, a, an ex-wife, which I think even adds. And many, in many cases, in tribal politics, I mean, they are made up of families. I mean, it's a group of families that that make up the the history, um, you know, of, of the tribe over over decades and centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was great to be um, a part of that, and uh, and also along the uh, the issues that form the centerpiece of the uh, of the conflict. Mm-hmm. And can you expand a little on what what do you think those issues are? 
Well, in the play, I mean, there's the issues of of sovereignty. I mean, I, I would say that's one of the biggest things that strikes to me is 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 what exactly is sovereignty? And sovereignty traditionally for a, a native tribe or or even in contemporary terms in regards to their values can be very different as to what sovereignty means in a colonial American term. That's one of the things I love most in the play is the argument as to well, what exactly is sovereignty? Is is sovereignty going by our traditional ways and trying to keep that as intact and as solid as possible on our own terms and also in accordance with our beliefs on the environment? Or should the emphasis be on getting the financial capital, which in the United States of America is sovereignty? And I think there there's universality in many tribal nations as to what that is. And I don't think there is one particular answer for that. I think it's something that every tribal nation and community uh, sees for themselves. And just being uh, being Native myself, I, I see both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, I, I clearly see both sides of those arguments. And I, I think one of the things that's done so well in this play is that both sides are presented with respect that neither approach is really villainized, which I think is really interesting. Would you agree with that, Sanjit? We really worked hard on trying to include the community that we were writing about to be part of the process. And uh, we actually, at the the church basement reading we did, we invited members of the tribe who we uh, had interviewed to come to the reading. Um, and we interviewed, and we asked Opalania to, to read the play and give us brutally honest feedback to tell us, you know, where we got it wrong versus where we got it right. And, you know, of course, there's also the balance between artistry and facts, right? So we're always balancing because you need a certain amount of tension in a play. You need drama. You need you need to have that, but you also want to honor that. And, and it was great. Uh, Opalania Ted just was so thorough in how he asked his elders and how, uh, because he's an artist himself, he understood. He's like, well, okay, this might not exactly right, but I see what you're trying to do here. Uh, dramatically, and actually, I think that's fine. I think actually that that works. Or like, oh, actually, this you know, I know you want it dramatically, but we really need this to be clear, you know. And so that and that what, was great. And know? and what kind of changes did you find yourself making? Like what? Uh, just just uh, little historical things that we we talked about. You know, the boarding the school that they had for Indians in, mm-hmm. in order to Carlisle. And we talked about, should we mention them? How do we talk about them? And, and Opalani Ted was really great in saying how we should phrase it. How do we talk about it? Because also where it is specifically versus how this play is different, where we are placed here. So the little nuances of how we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Was great. And, and in terms of when we presented the play to the tribe, uh, you know, it was great to hear them afterwards say, uh, wow, you, you really got some of the rivalries right. Like, you got the tension right. Like, like that, that is how we argue. Like, that's how it goes down. So actually, even though it's a little hard to hear that, it's like, that is how it goes down, you know? And you then know, little things like, how, how the, and the names of things, how to say it properly, you know? Those things, and it was just great because they gave us great feedback on what to get right, but didn't try and stop the dramatic unfolding of what we needed in the play. You know, um, what you just said reminded me that one of the things I'm so impressed by this also is, as you know, in theater these days, there's a lot of conversation about the white gaze. And this is very much a play that is not under the white gaze. It feels very much like an intimate conversation among each other. And I just, I don't know if that was intentional. You know, I'm looking at the character list right now and I'm thinking it is really BIPOC characters. I mean, there's one, Trish, 
could yeah. be played by anyone, I guess. But it's really BIPOC characters talking amongst themselves. Uh, yeah, Trish is the only one that could be played by anyone. And actually, Juliana mm-hmm. Zinkel played Trish mm-hmm. beautifully in the audio play. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's right. That was very intentional because those were the people we interviewed and we wanted to tell the story from their point of view, you know, outside of exactly what you said, um, any outside gaze, right? Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to honor their story from the inside. And and, it, I, and I think sometimes, you know, we forget, like we, we always see like majority plays, you know, like we see in a, uh, we, I just haven't seen plays like this where we, we're so in communities where we do also just also just see each other. Sometimes we don't see those plays, but also importantly, we just fell in love with those characters and, mm-hmm. and those characters were, the, were who we wanted to tell the story of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, though, you know, any piece of art has to be so specific. It's universal. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but, and, but I mean, I've certainly seen a fair share of plays that have a kind of what I want to call it, a sort of anthropological approach where there's a, yes. uh, where there's kind of an explanation of yes. who these people are and what these people do. And I think one of the lovely things about this play is that there is sort of the assumption that everyone involved understands what they do, unless they don't, you know, and then it seems like a very natural kind of explanation. Yeah, that, that's such a great way you put it. Uh, Leah, that's exactly right. And now, now, believe you me, our first and second drafts <laughs> needed a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but, you know, thanks to, you know, the sort of specificity that Nina and o- Opalania had brought with them, they, our conversation with them, like they demanded more of us, you mm-hmm. know, like, like when we met Nina, we were like, oh, this is a force to reckon with, you know, like, we, better, we better get this right. You know, and, and Opalania Ted was like, hey, listen, this is like, like we got you. And so it, it was it was great to be held to a higher standard also by, by people who have higher standards. You mm-hmm. know, we mm-hmm. wanted that. So that was um, a crucial to develop. <laughs> it was the first time that someone had come to our community to consult about a narrative. You know what wow. I'm saying? You tell the story how you see it. And I hope that I was speaking for my community. So I was in from the from jump because you had the mind to do that and say, this is the voice. You have so much to go by, right? And so many folks and so much information. And you went right to the source, which is just amazing. And you help us to make a standard about changing the the narrative. Because now we expect folks, if you want this program, you want to do this, you want to do that, you want to profile Well, you need to come here and hang out. So thank you. That's great. That's really great. A lasting effect. As I read and listened to the play, I was very curious about who was a hero and who was a villain, or maybe those categories don't apply in this play. I'm just curious about your thoughts. Sanjit, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. We um, we tried not to have that, you know, I, I think because so much of storytelling is about who's who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. And, you know, our, our, our nation does that, politics does that. And we we really tried hard to watch characters who might have bad moments or uh, make judgments that aren't the best judgments, but then who are in the end striving to do what's best for them and their community, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it's it's not a matter of being a bad person, a good person. It's a matter of on the way to trying to live your life. Sometimes you have to make decisions and you don't always make the right ones. Uh, mm-hmm. But hopefully we learn from them and we we move forward. And so we, we wanted to catch characters at life-defining moments and see them sometimes succeed and sometimes fail. Clearly, gentrification is looked at with a very jaundiced eye. 
so so there's there are certain events that are looked at as uh at the very least as not helpful if not actually destructive uh, yeah and, and the thing is you know but it's it's also complicated right because here you have guy three who is this new immigrant and they finally have able to live the american dream and own a piece of land right that's america right we get to own a piece of land and and, and this new immigrants coming here trying to make a life it just so happens that that piece of land is on the burial ground of the original american and so whose land is who so who's you know, whose home is whose, you know, and, and what does that mean? And how do we navigate these things? And, and can we have both? Is there room for both of us? And I think there's room. I think there's room for all of us. We just have to figure out how to navigate, you know, to honor each other and also find out how, you know, we can do it. But it gets complicated, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I want my land back. But the person with gentrification, my land is actually this new South Indian community who's moved in, right? Because then it became not just about then ethnic diversity, it's also class diversity, socioeconomic diversity, who has the ability to, you know, come in. And, and then the, then they get they become complicated questions. But in the end, it's also web development leads the whole thing, right? Uh, and, and actually, the web development land, uh, the name is actually Jim Webb was the landowner who eventually took over Hannah Freeman's land. Ah. Yeah, so that's sort of the name web development came. So that's yeah. that's hundreds of years old idea of who owns the land and where did that idea come from in the first place you know i mean i'm talking to many Lenape people the land ownership is not a real thing that's not an actual idea right the creator owns the land we don't own the land we're caretakers of the land so this idea of like you know i own some land is like ridiculous uh in some ways so that that, so navigating those things were also an important point and i have to say that's one of the things i so appreciate about the land acknowledgement that opalanya tet authored because it's very much, I think it navigates this issue very gracefully, uh, acknowledging who first lived here and also saying this is land that we intend to share as long as you take care of it. I hope I characterize that fairly, Opalamiatet. So one thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about also is the fact that we are presenting this as a piece of audio theater. So it's something that people are listening to. They're not watching. And I'm just wondering what that did to the experience or what you think that will do to the experience of people who will be listening to it. If you had to change anything in order to make it more of a play to be listened to as opposed to be a play that is being watched. Well, we, we hope it will be watched at some point also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but right now, oh, of course, of course. Uh, yeah. But for right but, uh, now, it's something Yeah, I mean, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, obviously when, when we cast it, it's even more important that we get the casting right because you you have to feel the authenticity of the actor who's playing the role and to be actually be able to own that role uh, in their voice as well. You know, sometimes when you, you just see people, you can be tricked in, uh, I think that person is this, but when you hear somebody, you know, you get all of them. Our voices are so much a part of who we are. So it was really interesting in, in terms of casting and, and in terms of how when we hear them, you know, we, we have to get a real sense of, of, of them understanding the character and being, for that character to come across very quickly, you know, you know, as soon as we hear. And, and the, the, the beauty of this play, audio plays, I, I think this is one of the it's a new way of recording. It's binaural recording, meaning you have to listen to it with headphones and it gives you a 360 degree view of, of where people are. You can hear movement. You mm-hmm. can hear when people are further away, when they're closer, they can go from your left ear to your right ear. And you can actually hear the environment. The way we recorded was almost like a movie. Uh, they pumped in sounds of the background in real time through speakers. Uh-huh. 
while the actors did the scenes and then that all got recorded mm-hmm. uh, so it's this mm-hmm. new way of giving you a sensory it's almost like film for your ears it's a movie mm-hmm. for your ears a lot of our cultures come from this rich history of oral history a lot of us do and if we could just appeal to that to folks that a lot of us in our roots have had you know our elders passed down this rich history that have to through time have been come up against wrong narratives written and even in pictures depicted that way people will tap in to start to learn to listen um and re- think of their ancestors trying to tell them and guide them the right way the way that it used to be I'm that's so, a, I'm so lovely glad, yeah. yeah that's really lovely and i think um so opalania ted how was the experience of recording this play for you uh, was this something you had done before is this a new experience no th- this was definitely a, a new experience in terms of recording in this uh in this manner and I think uh, I think Sanjit kind of summed it up best, where he said, "like like film for the ears," because that's exactly mm-hmm. w- what it felt like. It mm-hmm. it um, in many ways it did feel like we were doing a film or or a movie in terms of you know doing you know scenes out of sequence and, and the intimacy of it, and but yet the focus was on the sound and 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 on the voice. So it was a very um, it may have been said already, but I think the best way to describe it was it, it was an extremely intimate intimate process. Did you find yourself adjusting your approach to acting because this was a new form? I don't think so. I mean, uh, there may have been certain technical things in terms of of, of where the 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 mic or the speaker or or certain techniques specifically for recording. But the essence of uh, of the acting technique, I at least for me, as I recall, it remained predominantly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of you're, you know, projecting to to a house or of, of a various size in a the theater, it, it was as it was as I said, kind of much more intimate. Whether the scenes that I were that I was involved in uh, in the office, or there was one scene that takes place in a restaurant bar, you know, mm-hmm. all all those all those things and all those sounds that Sanjay also said that were pumped in also helped uh, re- really with with the ambiance mm-hmm. um, of uh, the ambiance of the scene, and also worked to enhance the process. And it was so interesting to me also to hear the oral equivalent of spiritual experiences, if you know what I mean, and how that was portrayed. I just I just found that to be particularly beautiful. It was really lovely. Um, yeah, our audio people, uh, Josh and Katie, Josh who's the main engineer. He's the one who did this tremendous amount of work. Uh, Rialto is the company that recorded it. A tremendous amount of post editing. Uh, he came up with the sounds, where the mics were placed, and then he edited all this together on tracks, on layers, like three, four, five layers of sound. Um, I, it, how they record is really they have three different kind of mics. One is a head mic, which is kind of like the medium and long shot, and the other mics that actually actors wore on their ears, mm. and that was like the close up shot in a film. Mm. So if uh, Opalani Ted and I are doing a scene. The mic I'm wearing in my ears is actually Opalaniatet's close-up shot, and the mics on his ears are my close-up shot. So then Josh would edit between three those three different mics, wow. uh, just like a film, in order to get the the right oral sound uh, for the scene. Wow, that is really fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting. One thing that I was intrigued by is the fact that Gaia was having trouble with her eyesight, and I did not know. Is it is Gaia right? Um, uh, Gaia three, yeah, Gaia three, Gaia. Gaia 3, yeah. yeah, 
Luis Calzacayde, yeah. And I was intrigued by that element and wondered what the significance of that was, because it does, I mean, she is healed, but she does struggle to see. And I wondered, you know, I'm thinking about that in terms of the importance of listening and her inability to see, and then her ability to see very clearly. Was this something yeah. that you had thought about before this became a play um, that to listen to? Yeah, it was, yes, actually, it, it turned out to be just kismet in terms of that. Yeah. It came from the actual story. We interviewed, um, uh, the, uh, the actually, the girl we interviewed, uh, she was actually 12 or 13, and she was losing her uh, eyesight. She had a, a, a degenerative disease, and they actually had to take her back to India to do Ayurvedic treatments because the, no Western treatment was working, and it was slowly getting worse. And they said if it kept going, she would eventually lose her eyesight. And then in a twist that we couldn't even write, her favorite thing was to paint. Mm. And she was a visual painter and she loved painting. And here she is, this young woman who's in love with painting, who's slowly losing her eyesight. And so we thought, oh my gosh, to have that storyline, you know, happening. And it just so happened that also, you know, when we did the audio play, the, the, the play is full of sounds uh, and, and nature sounds. Um, and so it kind of already built in when we wrote it. So it was a, a, when we transitioned to audio, it felt right. It was a natural transition. Uh, but that's the inspiration for Guy 3 and, and the actual story of the eyesight. Mm. I know we've talked a little bit about, about gentrification, but Nina, I would love to hear you talk about the role of gentrification in the lives of the people you work with. It's a very complicated role in the play, um, as Sanjit has um, has alluded to, but I'm wondering what it's like for you as you work with your folks. Wow, that's a loaded question. Was I myself am a product of that growing up in New York City um, with parents from the first diaspora, right? Are my parents come from colonized Puerto Rico, which is the original name of our island is Boriquen, and the original people are Taino. And when you have all of these folks from different countries forced to leave because of imposed, in our case, right, colonization, this imposed economy upon an island like Hawaii and what have you, it's almost the same story. Like folks, you have all these immigrants in there and say, well, I was here first. And then there's an overlap of property and they're really only given we call it redlining, right? But it's really political because in very insidious ways, and that's what the undercurrents of racism is, is that people are forced into land, right? And that's how ghettos are formed. And then they start to kind of have these infighting, right? And who was here first? So we actually live so that, and here, I call it double forced migration. It's like they have to leave, right? Because unbearable to be in a country and then when they get here and they're trying to work so hard to have a piece of that dream and the insidious systems are still in place that will lead to um, those problems of predatory loans for homes if you get that far we still have all of that and it also kind of those systems kind of make us look at each other and wonder which one of us is really entitled to this um, and unfortunately, we don't. Not everyone has the eyes to see the undercurrent that's taking us along that way to focus on each other when it's not that. It's Structural. another, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we see some of that, 
um, in our and actually in our Phoenixville. And the reason why I started Alianzas here is because you know, it was so diverse and diverse doesn't mean equity is not the same thing, right? And we have to work toward that. And it was, but everything was in place to make that happen. And all of a sudden now Phoenixville, wherever there's progress, is somebody's paying for that. And it's at the cost of regular folks that have been here 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And all of a sudden that dream of having something here or even just living here, it doesn't even mean, have to mean ownership. Just living here have been forced out because gentrification is at its worst in our community. Now, everything is luxury housing, right? But the most important thing that's happening within us is this looking at each other, like who belongs here and who doesn't. And oh my gosh, now we have, you know, a Vietnamese community coming in. We're still struggling to get our piece here. What's happening? And it's not really that. Mm. So I really just think that gentrification is, um, not everyone really sees that undercurrent. And it kind of pins us against each other in some way, or just looking at each other in ways. And we don't know the origins, even within our communities. We need a lot of education and information about the original people being here and what did that mean and what does it mean now? Um, and to have that perspective, because it's not about us, who's going to be on top, is how can we work daily to advocate for each other as these systems are really just ruining a lot of communities. Mm-hmm. A lot of vulnerable communities. Yeah. And I guess um, let's, I, I think we can end. I just want to ask a last question, which is Sanjit, what do you imagine will happen to these characters next? That's a good question. Uh, before I answer that, can I just uh, touch on Sheriff Fred for a second? Because, mm-hmm. you know, he was very inspired by um, a county commissioner we, uh, we interviewed who was African-American and had deep roots here and and was inspired also by a story when we went to the, the council meeting where um, this uh, person who worked in the Delaware governor's office had came and the, the tribe had contacted him and said, I don't know if you know, but we're doing research, but you have Lenape background. You are Lenape. And he was like, what? Um, and they were like, yes. And we would love to talk to you about this piece of land that you've been using for artillery range that is actually, we think, our burial ground. So it was all, ba- you know, and so this idea of also um, this African-American character who thinks he is one person uh, all his life and all of a sudden, in, uh, you know, later in life gets information that he, he's not who he thought he was. And this idea of, of us, America, like who are we? All, we're all a mix of things, you know, and we're trying what, to. Uh, what happened to that conversation? Do we know what happened to the artillery range in the property? I, I, I don't I haven't. I know that that character, that per, the real life person was actually going to try and help them. Uh, uh-huh. But I do believe the governor ha- ended up helping the tribe and they've actually gotten status, mm-hmm. uh, state status there. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened with that piece of land though. That's a good question I should follow up. But in terms of all these characters and what happens to them, that's partly up to the audience members' <laughs> imagination. I'd like to think that um, there's hope that we end this uh, because I, we, we end the play uh, in, in this, uh, an ambiguous ending, uh, but hopefully an, uh, a hopeful one. Uh, we had thought about adding a coda later on. Uh, in, in an earlier draft, uh, we had uh, we thought about maybe the the sheriff talking from the new community center that's established, and maybe he's he's taken over as chief, or or possibly Guy Three. You know, her, uh, her visa having expired and having had to go back to India. So we, there were all these possible codas 
but we thought that's one of a million endings that could happen. And and what's what's most important for the play was that Jalilis comes home finally and returns to the land. And hopefully the the people she's brought along with her are changed and that somehow they get a hold of their lives in a way they hadn't before. That's all we can hope for as artists and the people in the, in the end and are searching for our lives that somehow we're able to get a hold, uh, put our hands around our lives at some point and try and shape it in a, in a way that moves us and the people around us forward. You know, that, that's really all we can really all hope to do, I think. And my hope is that all those characters get a chance to do that at the end. That's a very hopeful ending. Yes, Apolaniatet. Yeah, there, there's something that, uh, just to build off of what, what Sanjit was saying, and I, I do believe this is um, this is a search, I think, for, for many Americans. And, you know, with my company, Eagle Project, we say our mission is to explore the American identity. And I think a big part of the identity is to reintroduce ourselves to what exactly is important. What is What are the most important things to, to being human, to being whole, to being happy, to have meaning? And, and I, and it's my feeling that all the characters at the end of the play to uh, take a big step towards that. And I, and I imagine that that journey and quest um, would continue even beyond the play. I could see that as well, because a Louise would probably get into like a DACA program, graduate college, what happens all the time and still have a now a whole new set of struggles, even with all the victories and I know that sounds tiring because it's like, well, don't we actually arrive at some point? And there's <laughs> just that one happy ending. But this is real life. Right, Sanjay? We have glories along the way. And these characters like Luis will have this, you know, he probably could get, yes, Luis is in our community, get married. They actually go to college. They actually, and But along with that come these new sets of struggles. But those victories and those glories give you strength for that next struggle. What a lovely way to end. Thank you. You all three have been uh, have been really wonderful. I hope that many, many people get to hear and then watch Crushed Earth. And, um, and thank you for your contribution to, I don't know, to more understanding of how we live and how we live together. <laughs>